Men have balls, girls. Try to put your boobs in between your legs and squeeze them. Idiotic. Hashtag feminist. Hashtag woman spreading. So again, this is kind of back to the anatomy of it. And I think it is worth mentioning that men do have balls. So I would Correct. say, what I would say to that though <laughs> Most is of them. Like, <laughs> Most of them. Hello and welcome to Girls With Goals. I'm Neve Marr and I'm delighted to welcome my guest panellist this week. I've finally dragged her into studio. Our very own editor of Her.ie, Gillian Fitzpatrick, joins us and writer-journalist Taryn Devere as well. A little bit later on for our Spotlight on Sport, I'll be joined by former Olympic high jumper Deirdre Ryan, who gave me some really interesting tips on how to be a successful high jumper that may or may not um, involve a stepladder, so that's okay. But first, ladies, you're very welcome to the show. Thank like you. Every week we're going to kick things off with a little game to get everyone comfortable. It's called Six Words or Less and it's for our readers and our listeners who may not know who you are. So it can be a string of words or it can be a sentence, whichever you're more comfortable with. And I think we're going to start with Gillian. Oh, thank you. Yeah. What an honour. Oh, thank what an you. Honor. Um, I'm going to go for a mischief maker and a visionary. Mischief maker and a visionary. Six words on the button. Yeah, I counted. I knew. <laughs> I did. Um, I cross-checked that just in case. <laughs> nobody's used the word mischief yet. I think I'm, I was going to use the word trouble, but I think that has negative connotations. So I went for mischief instead. Mischief is more fun. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's a little bit more fun. Taryn, your six words. Okay, I'm going to go with um, happy, confident, sex positive, um, flamboyant and fertile. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> Okay, she I, has five kids. Yeah, I, well, I feel like I need those again. So can you give them to me one more time, okay. please? Okay, confident, happy, uh, sex positive, yeah, flamboyant, and fertile. Nice. That's that's Jillian's wrecking the place already. She's five minutes in the door. Sorry, Not even five minutes. down the podcast studio. That's going to come out of my wages, right? Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. So we are all sitting like ladies, right? Is that a question? So I think I think I'm sitting like a lady. Yeah, yeah I am. We're all sitting like ladies, but we're talking about this because we want to talk today about woman spreading. So it's a phrase that has been trending on Twitter and, in particular, on Instagram this week. Essentially, women are taking pictures of themselves in a relaxed manner, you could say, with their legs apart, usually on public transport, and it aims to rival manspreading. And the pose is designed to empower women and to allow them to claim their space, essentially. So a lot of this is kind of lighthearted online, and um, people are kind of taking the piss a little bit. But I don't know, what do you guys think? Do you think it's an important thing to kind of reaffirm that gender conditioning shouldn't happen, or do you think it's all in good fun? I do think it's all in good fun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, what I think is really interesting is this trend I suppose a spotlight was shone on it because of a Dailymail.com article that rounded up all these beautiful celebrities and lovely models and very famous very wealthy very very attractive young women who were uh, manspreading and and actually what I liked about it though is that that kind of turned on its head a little bit and suddenly people started to embrace this trend not models not on these beautiful private jets or on a shoot or in their wonderful homes in California Um, but on as you say on public transport sitting at home Um, I I definitely remember when I was growing up um, my mum telling me that to sit a certain way and there was definitely it was it was called ladylike and it was mm. perfectly good intentions um yeah. but when i when i think back now it was very much me rather than my brother yeah you know being told that that's not ladylike to sit like that it's that um, term isn't it ladylike absolutely, like, yeah. and other things my my mum would say to me maybe it's not ladies like to whistle and, and your gran would really hate if, if she heard you whistle or spit uh, or spit spitting was a yeah. big thing my brother used to spit all the time but if I spit it was like no 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 no, no 100% Taryn what do you think what do you think about yeah, women's so spreading? I think um, to touch on what Gillian said around this type of stuff happens when, when we're speaking to our children and uh, in terms of raising kids and how we raise children I think a lot of the gender conditioning happenings happens at that point yeah. and so to me I, this is like a, a light hearted kind of um, take on 
a, quite a serious topic and the fact that girls are conditioned so differently to the way boys are and that girls are conditioned to take up less space yeah, um, and less public space and that public spaces are generally designed by men for men. Yeah. And so while I think that the, the sort of Instagram thing about w- woman spreading is quite lighthearted and I think it's quite fun, I also think it, um, it points at something a bit darker mm. and hopefully shines a bit of a light on that. Well, it's interesting what you say about the whole taking up space thing because I was trying to figure this out and I was trying to get the opinions of men. So I went around the office and just asked some of them. Now, they're all anonymous, but they gave me a few quotes on what they think on manspreading. Um, so one of the lads said, junk's getting crushed otherwise. You can't argue with that. Okay, so we'll give him that one. So he's talking about his anatomy. Um, another person said, very few people do it as a means of dominating space. And I thought that was a really interesting thing because... I was trying to figure out whether they were even aware of this. And then another one said different types, uh, some necessary and some egotistical. Some people are just assholes. And I mean, it kind of does stand to that. I don't think that, well, I would like to not think that men are going around trying to dominate every space, but it's definitely why I think woman spreading is now becoming, it's about us trying to take back a little bit of space. Absolutely yeah. and, and definitely you will see some men do I mean not not just the, the kind of typical on public transport. Yeah. Some men they, they walk into a room and they automatically try to make themselves look as, as big and as present as possible yeah. and we don't see that very often with women you know mm. it's it's just not as, as common to see a woman strut into the room and I think so, you know Neve, you and I were speaking about this as well that as women, you, you try to make yourself quite small, I think, a yeah. lot of the time. Yeah. You yeah. know, you, it's it's feminine to be smaller and to be neater and to to sit, I suppose, in a certain way or stand in a, in a certain way. Or when you walk into a room, you don't do it with the same authority as you often see men doing it. And But yeah. bold, kind of brash women tend to get punished as well by society. So it's not that surprising that... Uh, yes, that women it's discouraged. do that. And, and we are socially conditioned to get, to be as small as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think that that's, that's not that surprising. But I think yeah. on what, what you were saying about speaking to those men, I think most men don't do this consciously. Yeah. There's probably a small minority that do. Uh, but I think the majority of them, it's just the way they've been socially conditioned they, they, to think that they can take up space and that it's theirs. Yeah. But did you see the um, in Spain they did this... Uh, they they did, created this kind of they had they had a big problem with man spreading on the trains. So they, their solution to this was to create this replica of a penis, which they put on a seat. Oh, did you I see that? This. Did this. you see that? <laughs> I did not see yeah. this. I, yeah, I thought yeah. it was like. And there was a video a then of the men yeah. when they were sitting down, and the, the, the initial reaction was just like to jump up off yeah. the seat because they're enough. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> or they'd walk onto the train Very and they'd go to sit down, and then they'd sit. They'd be like, "Whoa, what the hell is that?" You know. Yeah. And, and it was kind of. I, I probably have a similar reaction myself, mind. Yeah. If I got up to public transport. Slightly bizarre kind of approach to dealing with man spreading. I love the way like they consider in Spain whoever it was transport authority in Spain (laughs) A this is such a problem that we actually have to tackle it and B love to be in that room when they came up with oh I know what we'll do penis yeah. right now right penis. here on the on the chair just a penis yeah. I think like even though and I saw the picture of that and yeah. it is really really funny but at the same time it is trying to get across how uncomfortable man spreading can make other people and I think it is like you said there are light hearted ways to go about these things but at the root of it they were trying to make a point now again I don't think that that was necessarily the best way to do it yeah, me, but, me it but it definitely made people uncomfortable and it definitely got people talking yeah. but I actually I went on Twitter because I wanted to see I knew that woman spreading was um, trending so I went on to see what people were saying and to be honest with you a huge amount of it was negative and there are some that I just wouldn't even mention because I I don't want to give them a platform but this person said wait so rather than just asking someone to move a bit we've got to make woman spreading and man spreading a thing we'd rather be snarky assholes online than simply say please so that's someone saying like why are we doing this in this way why can't we just ask them to move or why can't we just approach it head on and I kind of get that point as well because I do think that like you said earlier Gillian these beautiful models and stuff they're doing it but like realistically they're not on the Lewis at 7.45 in the morning no, not, do you know no, what I mean so, not, not that I've ever seen anyway yeah, and never I mean, seen Bella Hadid on, on the Lewis I haven't I, I haven't either <laughs> but I think if she was on it she might understand a little bit more but what do you think do you think that it's 
do you think that we're trying too hard to make a point of it or do you think, think that it, you have to remember that it can be quite unsafe for a woman to yeah. speak to a man that she doesn't know and particularly one who's aggressively dominating the space she's in yeah so I think putting the onus on on a woman to say oh, hey would you move over and I mean I have assessed the threat level of a man and said to him hey would you move your leg before and some of those men have moved their legs and occasionally one or two of them have just looked at me and not moved their legs yeah. you know so um but I, I certainly wouldn't be trying to kind of pressure any woman to into just ask somebody to do that yeah I think most of us are pretty passive aggressive now because we're so used to being able to go online and tweet about something or message some yeah. you know, something to someone um it does it take it takes a lot of guts to turn around to a stranger and say actually excuse me would you mind moving your leg over there like most yeah. that, I think that's pretty scary yeah. like I'm fairly ballsy mm-hmm. and you know I usually have no issue saying something to someone but actually I don't know what I do in that situation it's, I, it's funny as well because when I asked you know the the group of colleagues in the office somebody mentioned when women put their handbags on the seat beside them and that that is actually a version of man spreading that we do and I never even I that never entered my mind that that's something that can offend somebody else I would never do it on a packed train but mm. I have definitely put my handbag on a, on a, on a seat beside me before yeah when it's quiet yeah, yeah. when yeah. it's quiet but that's I mean that's just manners though really knowing like looking up and thinking is there people looking for a seat yeah uh, I better move my handbag you know that's common sense and manners I think yeah definitely but I did an experiment once where I on this kind of topic of men taking up space and I noticed that when I was walking down the street that I was always moving to the side for men so I decided right I'm going to walk down the main street and I am not going to move I'm actually just going to stay in a straight line I'm going to see what happens here and I literally ran into three men who would not move are you serious? they would not move and also some of them were like quite aggressive <laughs> some of them were quite annoyed at me for not I'm moving I'm going to try that on the way home I think I'm going to yeah. try that on the way home <laughs> yeah, as well I'm yeah. going to be strutting down the yeah. middle of that road I feel like you do that anyway I, yeah, I, probably do, <laughs> I really yeah. don't feel like you would move aside <laughs> for a man to be honest with you but yeah. that might be something that we do without really realising that we do it definitely so it's something I that kind so. of happens without realising again it. we're socialised yeah. to be accommodating to not take up space yeah. to, to step to the side so I think um, you know that's why I did it I was like alright I'm going to see we're going to start. Uh, we're going to need to get that trend. I absolutely. We need to think of a good hashtag for that. <laughs> Definitely. Walk street straight spreading, or something. Street know. spreading. Yeah, oh, now I don't know. <laughs> we're is going to have a piece on that this week. Yeah, one hundred percent. We're getting this going. We might have to rejig the name a little bit. Street spreading. Yeah. There was actually another person who said, and the uh, her tag was at cute girl. She said, "Power pose. Men have balls. Girls try to put your boobs in between your legs and squeeze them. Idiotic. Hashtag feminist. Hashtag woman spreading. So again, this is kind of back." to the anatomy of it. And I think it is worth mentioning that men do have balls. So I would Correct. say, what I would say to that though <laughs> Most is, of them. Most of them. you know, men are designing the spaces. If they're not, if they're designing seats that are too small for their package, well then like they only have themselves Go back to, to the blame. Board. Do you know what I and mean? And also like, mazel tov. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's all but it's also kind of like just it's manners and common decency yeah, as well isn't it definitely. it's like whether you're a man or a woman not taking up too much space in a public space being you know courteous to the other people around you yeah absolutely it's just like manners no definitely and and one of the comments that you read out there probably made that point mm-hmm. where, you know saying man or woman taking up that much room is it's just rude and, yeah. and it is just rude but I suppose with this whole movement it it does get us talking and it makes you think and it makes you think about how women carry themselves and Absolutely. the expectations we put on ourselves um, and just our whole, I suppose, physical presence. And I think that's a really important conversation to have. Definitely. 100%. Moving on from this, another story about gender equality was in the news this week and we ran a piece on it on site on her.ie and the headline reads, Trinity College changes freshmen to fresh in gender equality moves. So this was the vice provost. Do I say that right? Is it provost? Yeah. Okay. I don't think I've... I've I've always second guessed myself. Cue a whole load of uh, listeners furiously (laughs) messaging in (laughs) to call you up on your pronunciation. This is it. It happens more often than you think. So the vice provost of Trinity College Dublin. No, I didn't. I didn't either. Chris Morash, and again, I'm not sure if I'm saying his name right, sent out an email to all staff and students of the college announcing a change in the way the college refers to its students. So they're dropping the man in freshman and sophomore. Or no, sophomore. Now. (laughs) (laughs) What is happening? So it's just becoming fresh. So what do you think about that? Do you think it's the right move? You know, uh, this had the, the, I'm going to say predictable response. Well, certainly that I saw online. People 
really open arms about this. People were very angry and, and just said it was it was completely unnecessary. Uh, PC gone mad, you know that phrase? That's, yeah. that's mm-hmm. thrown a lot around a lot now. A lot of PC gone mad comments. Um, and I, I think maybe initially that might have been in the vein of my own response. Is this necessary? But when I thought about it a bit more, I actually think it's a really positive step. Yeah. Um, it probably sounds a little bit funny, maybe. It sounds not what we're used to. But I remember 10 years ago, and I was working for newspapers and we had obviously a, a style guide, style book. And one of them was that you're always a spokesman. Always. Doesn't matter if you're a man, woman, you, you are a spokesman. And that was just because they felt that saying something like spokeswoman or spokesperson yeah. was a bit, quote unquote, PC gone mad. Too PC, yeah. Where nowadays, I think that would be that would be quite strange in the opposite direction. I think yeah. if you're assigning a spokesman to myself or yeah. Tyron or to, to you, Neve, yeah. that, that would be incorrect and it would feel like the wrong title to give you. Yeah. Um, so I think as we move along with the times, perhaps we'll look back at Freshman in 10 years' time and say, actually, that, that wasn't an appropriate uh, phrasing. And it's a good positive step that they're, you know, examining what, what are the phrasing or what, what are the traditions on campus yeah. that are actually have their roots in gender inequality and, and how can we tackle those and make it better? So that should be applauded. Yeah, and how do we um, how do we just be more inclusive, generally speaking, with our language? And the thing that always uh, amazes me about these kind of conversations is... I always think about the people who get so angry about this, right? And I think, like, being inclusive hurts and harms nobody. Yeah. But being exclusive does harm people. So why are people fighting so hard to, to retain this language that, that actually does cause harm? You know, I mean, and not necessarily in this particular case, but in certainly in some cases in terms of um, inclusive language, it does actually cause think, harm yeah, if you don't I, use I think, it. I think some of the anger came from people we're a little bit up in arms saying you can't do or say anything anymore like I can't keep up with what is offensive yeah. and what isn't and something that was so part of common conversation last year or two years ago or five years ago yeah. suddenly now oh we, we're not allowed to say it or I'm, I'm being really politically incorrect or I'm being really offensive or really archaic using a certain phrasing um, and I think that was probably a lot of the a lot of the drive behind yeah. some of the criticism of this move what I find what I find kind of interesting about this whole conversation is that what we're speaking about now and we're all in the media what we're speaking about now seems to be more about the backlash that comes from these changes whether they're small or whether they're great and it almost seems to me like when things like these stories pop up that the story isn't actually about the change or or gender equality it actually becomes about what people are reacting to it so that in itself is negating the whole point of what we're trying to do I mean it, it almost feels like Trinity should have just this happened and not necessarily let it become public knowledge do you know because I don't know and I think we have to take a little bit of responsibility as well in the media by you know I suppose talking about it here today but it is the kind of thing in that what is the actual story that's going on is it actually about gender equality or is it now becoming about the political correctness yeah, of no, it, it and, and trial by Twitter you know that's, yeah. that's a phrase that, that we're becoming more familiar with because of the re- recent sexual assault allegations yeah. and sexual inappropriateness um, and definitely there are countless examples of the original message being lost amongst all that yeah. and and also things snowballing very fast um, mm. Yeah definitely, it's an interesting one, we're going to come back to this we're actually going to take a quick break now when we come back we will be taking a look at our working lives as women but first I was delighted to welcome Olympic high jumper Deirdre Ryan to studio earlier in the week, here's how we got on you work for Lidl as their head of corporate social responsibility and they've been doing some really interesting research at the moment into girls in sports and the dreaded drop-off age and we will get into that but first I do want to ask you about your own athletic background so why the high jump? Well yeah I get get that question asked quite a lot Um, I was involved in so many sports when I was younger which is I think really good to kind of get a grasp on what sports you like whether you like team sports individual sports and so on um, in school and in clubs but I think I was just inspired by the likes of Sonia Sullivan and other athletes so I kind of asked if I could join a local athletics club I was a little bit young when I 
kind of developed a grow for athletics. I was probably eight, seven or eight, and I had to wait a year till I could join. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I wanted to be a long distance runner, a cross country runner, uh, despite having no talent for it. So oh really? Yeah. No, I wasn't very good. Yeah, yeah, I'm still not very good. I wasn't a good. I did running as well, and I wasn't good at it at all. I'd say you were probably better than me though I'm at not. it. Did you do it for a few years? Or? I did. Yeah. So I was still like I I did cross country, and um, and Sonia was the inspiration for she that. was yeah. yeah and I think we have a great history of like distance runners and cross country runners in in Ireland so I guess I was inspired inspired by those loved the idea of track and field and watching the world championships and Olympics yeah. and wanted to take part in the Olympics so I guess I kind of then tried a number of different sports uh, different disciplines within uh, athletics and high jump was one that I tried probably around the age of 13 so yeah I, I, I was quite good at that I'm probably more explosive have more coordination and stuff like that so that would be the kind of skill set that would require to be, be required for high jump rather than aerobic uh, capacity so so it was in um, 2011 that you set the Irish record and you also smashed your own PB at that time and you qualified for the Olympics in London. Tell me about that entire experience for you in 2012. Yeah, the, the magic day. Um, yeah. So yeah, 2011 was probably when, yeah, was my best year to date. Um, and it'd been a, it'd been a long road, I suppose, to get there, trying to qualify. I moved to Germany to qualify for Beijing Olympics. Yeah. And unfortunately, I tore the ligaments in my ankle and couldn't compete. Right. So it was kind of a long road then until London. So everything kind of came good in 2011. Uh, yeah, and the, at the world, at the world championships in Korea when I qualified. So it was that probably one evening where I, uh, I'd, I'd broke my own record, which I'd I kind of been breaking since I was a, a little bit younger, but still, it was probably more meaningful in that it was the qualification, yeah. the monkey off my back for the Olympics, which yeah. had been kind of hanging over me then for the next. Four and you years. still have that record, don't you? I do, I do, yeah. and actually, it might not last long. There's a really talented girl called Summer Lecky and uh, okay. uh, competing, so she's uh, she'll probably break that but record. But you've had in it for a few years, years so it, yeah. so that's good. So tell me about the Olympics then. What was that like? I mean, I'd say it's such a, a surreal experience to go from being an incredibly obviously high-performing athlete to then being called an Olympian and having this huge spotlight on you from the media in Ireland as well as everything else. Was that a, a hard transition or were you just like ready for it? I suppose there's a number of different aspects to the run-up to the Olympics. And as a, I think as, a, as an athlete, you try to a certain extent to convince yourself that it's just like a normal world championship like in Korea the yeah. year before and that it's you know just just like a European with the with the Americans and the Russians and what well the Russians would be at the Europeans anyway but and as a yeah. high jumper I suppose Europeans is as difficult as the world's because most of them are Russians and Eastern Europeans yeah. so I was kind of trying to convince myself that it wasn't going to be a huge difference but it's inevitable that there's a huge media attention everybody meeting the street I kind of feel like it's you know when people are getting married every question that people ask you is like so how are preparations going yeah. you, your dress? And, you know everyone that you meet is how is the how's training going for the Olympics and yeah. so everybody everybody's talking about it so it's kind of hard to get away from in that in that respect so there is that hype and a I little suppose, bit of pressure as well of course yeah, yeah. and for More me so. yeah there probably was um, I, I, I feel like I didn't feel I'm sure at some at some level I did because I'd, I'd done so well in 2011 I was uh, sixth at the world championship yeah, so unbelievable. You, the natural kind of you know thought process as well you know three more and knock them off the list and I'll get a medal but yeah. you know as unrealistic as it might be objectively you know the subjective mind of an athlete always believes that they'll get there you um, have to though you have yeah, to believe yeah, that yeah. yeah then I suppose yeah I got I got I got injured uh, about six weeks out of the Olympics quite badly so yeah. It kind of took a turn at the last minute, um, so it, that was pretty. That was pretty stressful. So just not knowing whether you'd be able to compete, um, not knowing if you know the if you perform your best, if even. you'd be at your yeah. best, if you could compete, and then you kind of trying to balance that idea of you know you still kind of unrealistically believe you're going to get a medal even though you know yeah. you're, I, had, I had a bulging disc in my back so uh, yeah it was pretty painful yeah. so there was kind of touch and go for a couple of weeks but the physios were fantastic out and went out to London went out to the holding camp and spent yeah. a week and I, I probably didn't jump for in training for those last three weeks until I stood out there so wow. yeah it was kind of stressful but um, yeah I think I think in your mind you still feel like okay well 
you know, there's still the chance and... It Absolutely. Was, still a huge pinnacle, I would imagine, as well. A career was, high. Yeah, it was... Has a, to be. Fantastic. It was a really, really good experience. So it, it was a roller coaster, but like all in all, it was like extremely, extremely positive experience. Yeah. And, you know, I jumped a few heights and did quite well, but, you know, not probably what I would have expected a year prior. Yeah. Um, but it kind of has that, you know, the Olympics has just that magic to it when you walk into the village and you see like... You know, all like the apartments and all the flags of all the countries all over, you know, all over the village and, you know, people just so, I suppose, it's like a utopia, you know, all the really tall volleyball players and jesting. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So it uh, it was incredible. So you are working for Little Now, as I mentioned earlier, and they carried out some research into girls in sports there recently, just earlier this year. And... We've written about the stats on her.e quite a bit. Some really good and positive stats came out of the research surrounding body confidence and, and things like that. But one of the more shocking stats that stood out to me, by the age of 13, one in two girls will have given up sport entirely, with 47% saying that the main reason for quitting was that their friends weren't playing. I, I just That one kind of stuck out to me in my head because I just thought it was really like a scary stat, but also kind of a sad one as well. What, what do you think about that? I mean, the research that Little are carrying out is brilliant, first off. I think it's really great that we're kind of concentrating on girls in sports. But what were the kind of few findings that stuck out for you? Yeah, I think that some of the key things that really stuck out for me was just the, the real reasons why they weren't staying involved. Yeah. And, you know, I'd love to just fight some of those myths somehow because, you know, they were kind of saying, well, you know, first of all, they felt much less encouraged. Yeah. So by by their parents, that, that word is such a it's a it's an awful word to use because it's awful to think of any young girls not being encouraged to participate in something that they love. But but sport in general, I yeah. think, should be encouraged across both sexes from a very young age. I found that word was a really hard one to kind of swallow. Yeah, and even and it was it was seventy two percent felt less encouraged than their male counterparts, and even even parents themselves when we questioned them they said yeah we actually yeah we don't we don't encourage our, our our girls as much as we do as much as we do the guys and I suppose looking at the reasons for that you know the belief was there for them that you know there was more of a future maybe involved in uh, for males in yeah. sports and you know that's why they were you know so it was good to kind of get underneath that and what, what the reasons were and I suppose the message really should be just about the benefits of sport other than yeah. you know not many people are going to have a career out of sport Absolutely. You know, there's going to be few and far between so I think it's about the message around how sport can just help young girls young boys kids and develop and grow their confidence and their body image and really develop those kind of transferable skills Absolutely you said there about um you know, that maybe it's to do with the career down the line. And one of the other stats that I thought was really interesting was that three in four girls agree that male sports is taken more seriously than women's sports. So that's obviously just kind of touching on that. I mean, is that a societal thing? Is it is it just because they probably will make more money if they become a professional athlete down the road? Or I wonder where it's happening that girls are kind of thinking that they're not being taken as seriously as boys when it comes to sport you know of course that is the element of you know the 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 funding for sports and yeah. maybe the the pay levels for for athletes at that very elite level and that, and that of course trickles down but you know that encouragement maybe within within schools of sponsorships as well but of course with parents too so you know it's just yeah. a case of staying encouraging them to stay involved and understanding why but yeah taking being taken to and of course the media as well you know yeah. has a role to play yourselves and you know Absolutely. you've done so many great features and this podcast particularly like featuring women in sports so I think that awareness piece and I think even with the sponsorship of Lidl if that was something we really felt like we could bring to it is just raising awareness of women in sport and how how hard they work and what that serious support entails yeah in school as well some of the interesting stats that came out was about the academic pressure that girls are feeling once they're in secondary school and I think that's kind of because I know for me like I dropped out of my sport when I was about 16 Mm. and it was was such a shame but it was around the time when the leaving cert was looming and I was feeling the pressure and 
it was also about timing and also you're a young girl you're growing up and you've got a lot of hormones raging through you but I think girls maybe feel a little bit more academic pressure than boys do or maybe it's just that they're releasing it in a different way I mean I don't know how to kind of decipher what that is but I do think there's a certain point when girls decide to focus more on their academics which of course is incredibly important but I think it's about getting that balance that you can continue with your sport while studying and while getting your education yeah, there, there, and there are, and there are really two elements to what you say yeah. there is, you know, first and foremost, you know, why is it that the pressure is more academic yeah. on girls? And secondly, understanding that even though if that is the case, if they do feel like, OK, I am under more pressure and that's a kind of a more difficult one to tackle is why do women feel more under pressure then academically than, than boys? And, you know, why is that happening in schools or why is that? Is it is it is it more, it's a wider cultural question, I suppose. But, yeah. you know, secondly, then understanding that actually it will help your academics. I mean, for me, I was, you know, really it was it was like a, a great break for me just to be able to go out, go for a run, go training, come back. And, you know, you study at a higher level and, you know, there are incredible transferable skills in what like sport can bring in terms of just your awareness, your focus, your discipline and bringing that into your into your academics. So it's it's, you know, they're they're correlated. Absolutely. Yeah. I think um, another thing as well, looking at more of the positive stats is that girls who play sport and who continue to play sport and who don't drop off feel a lot more comfortable with themselves with their body image and stuff and I think that that was a really interesting thing to to kind of focus on because growing up I remember one of the things that I struggled with was my muscles were developing in like my legs and I wish I was less basic to say that but I had these big old quads from squash (laughs) and I started to get really self-conscious about it as I was growing up because none of my girlfriends who weren't playing sport had that so but I mean, as I grow older now, what's great and I think what's a positive thing that we're seeing is that they say strong is, is the new skinny. And I think it's really encouraging to to let women know you're being bombarded in the media about what you're supposed to look like. And with sport, you're being healthy. And also, it doesn't really matter if your body is changing because you're getting stronger. Absol- absolutely. And it's just so funny that you say that now. I mean, it's becoming trendy. That is hindsight, yeah. though, because at the time I was very self-conscious. Yeah. And I remember being self-conscious, like it was really hard for me to get jeans and stuff yeah, like and, that. And there's probably, there's loads of, you know, young girls, young women who are probably feeling feeling the same way. But things, as you said, are more positive. Things are yeah. changing. I remember when we were younger, even, even when you talk about sports gear, sports equipment, we'd be on our way back from training and want to you know run into your local store to grab dinner but you'd have to put your tracks bombs on because you can't go out in leggings but yeah. now you know you go out in leggings as a fashion statement so Absolutely. you know it is becoming you know cooler to be sporty and people are getting more involved in strength and condition training and and so on so I think there is a huge movement towards being more being more sporty but yeah and, and and that really is great for for body image for for young for young women but you know touching upon like that whole you know you mentioned confidence and looking at like confidence and body image i think you know the underlying thing is being involved in sport whether it's about you know being skinny being big being tall being, whatever mm. it is it's just maybe trying to build confidence rather than just always looking at you know how how you look and it's i guess your perspective you know young girls perspective on how they look and whether that's really that important or not you know whether it should be more about you know being focused on being healthy and exactly of course you build your confidence by being in in sport because you're you know you're setting goals and you're you know of course confidence some some kids are just naturally more confident but yeah. you can build confidence so tell me now before i let you go what's going on in the future for you are you still training as as much as you used to train or, or how's that going what's the balance like in your life now obviously you were an Olympian so how do you kind of come down from that and maintain your participation in sport yeah well I, I would be quite impossible I think um, to maintain the level of like four, four or five hours a day but I, I'm staying involved so of course yeah. we would have been training maybe twice a day three days a week and then once a day three, and of course you have your career days. as yeah, well yeah, now yeah. so yeah absolutely and I, like I was I was always working at the time and but I was kind of you know maybe working four days a week three and a half days and it wasn't a priority so I was always kind of able to combine the two so I, I stay involved I do a number of days a week I'd lift weights a couple of days and yeah. run and trying to get involved in more sociable sports so I'm playing tennis for the first time tonight. Oh, so, really? Yeah, hopefully I've got that. Do I'm skilled, but I doubt it. You should play squash. Yeah, I'm, Here I might do. You should try it. It's a tough one. So if I was to try high jump, 
can you tell me what you're <laughs> just give me some tips give me like <laughs> give me two tips about if I wanted to become a really really good high jumper because you know I think you know me by now I don't want to be bad at it so well. <laughs> <laughs> okay so first visualization off, just and know, I don't, seeing is believing <laughs> seeing is believing maybe a little step ladder as well yeah yeah <laughs> Dear Ryan, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you so much, really appreciate it. So we're back. Gender equality and inequality, for that matter, in work has always been something that people talk about, want to talk about, are affected by. We saw this recently, actually, after we carried out our own research for our Slice of Ireland, which is a snapshot into the lives of our readers here at Her.ie. So we asked about various things. We asked about pay equality. We asked about career progressions. We asked about discrimination, amongst other things. But some of the the things that really stuck out to me, um, we asked how much of an issue, if at all, is gender pay equality in society and 57% said that it is a big issue 40% said somewhat of an issue and 3% said that it was not an issue at all so I actually found those I found those quite interesting because they were like not 50-50 obviously but yeah absolutely no absolutely fascinating but I mean I I don't think anyone can deny that it is an issue because obviously it's there in cold hard facts you know we we had the day recently in November where that's officially the day that women stop getting paid so really all of us should just stay at home for the rest of the year <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not not come in had a, had a load of duvet days um, so we know that of course we know that uh, gender pay inequality absolutely does exist yeah. mm-hmm. um, and it's something that I think governments now are becoming more aware of I know the National Women's Council is doing some great work yeah. on it obviously our Slice of Ireland results is you know these these are questions now that, that we're asking that people are asking and I can see this being a movement that's actually going to gain a lot of, lot of traction next year and, yeah. and going forward I thought the statistics were quite shocking actually because it was only 3% of people who didn't think it was a problem I know so for me like 97% of women that answered and what did you say 15,000 people yes. responded yeah. uh, that, uh, that are saying that that is actually an issue yeah. to some degree or another sometimes uh, like it's funny because I think we're in the media as well and that's almost an, a whole other conversation about being a woman in, in the media and kind of certain issues that we've faced along the way but I do think it's an interesting one because when we talked about promotion 25% of, of the people that we asked said that they felt that they had been overlooked mm. because of their gender when it comes to a promotion and I mean I think that that's a really worrying shock because that's base level got nothing to do with your performance it's literally just because you're Mm. a woman and like that it comes back to career progression and it comes back to women not only thinking that they can achieve something but also do they even feel like they can get anywhere once they're somewhere which is really worrying and we we talk a lot about women being pitched against other women and you you hear stories of women not championing other women's success Um, but there's only two spots for women around the boardroom table out of 10 or 12, then you you are automatically creating this really competitive environment whereby you do feel like you're up against other women and you, and maybe you do feel more competitive when you're looking looking at them instead of championing one another and being supportive um and and that you know there's there are cultures like that as well that I'm sure prevent women from from progressing really in the way that they should can I ask uh, have you any personal experiences of it yourself in in the workplace have you ever really had a moment or had a day even or had a week or had a year when you felt like wow I'm being treated in a certain way because of my gender in this situation? I, de- I mean definitely there, we, there, there's no way that you can you know I'm supposed I'm 10 years into my career now there's no way you could get through 10 years and not have a situation where you felt do you know what like I'm being spoken down here yeah. down to here because yeah. I am a woman absolutely yeah. I've been in those situations um, I think I've been very very fortunate in my career and I think I've had amazing opportunities and amazing opportunities for, for progression and I've Genuinely had. I've had amazing bosses that have uh, female bosses who, who've really championed my progress. Um, but just because I suppose I haven't experienced directly uh, a lot of stumbling blocks or, yeah. you know, repeated kind of say being turned down for promotions or progression, obviously that doesn't mean you can wash your hands of it and say, well, no problem here. It doesn't matter. No yeah. issue. Like you have to be, you have to say, well, you know, even if I'm uh, ploughing on forward yeah. and and if I'm there guns blazing, you know, not everyone, like I always say, not everyone has the support structure that I have because I've got two small kids. I obviously work uh, full time. Um, but my husband, A, he's a teacher, so that's very child friendly. Yeah. Um, 
both our, our sets of parents also live quite close to us. Uh, I have a sister who helps out a lot. And, you know, I, I think of all those support structures that are in place that allow me to be really focused on my career. Yeah. And yeah. it's really important to, to acknowledge that not every woman has that. I yeah, mean, I, that, I'm very that, fortunate. That, that, that is a big part. I mean, when I, I don't think like being a woman just in everyday life, even if you never worked, mm. uh, you're always going to have some experience of gender Absolutely. inequality. inequality. So when you're in the workplace, of course, you're going to experience it to some degree or another. Mm. I mean, I've, I've experienced various degrees of... Um, of gender inequality in my various careers that I've had but just on what you're saying Gillian in terms of the supports that you have I mean I had to leave a, a managerial position when I was pregnant in order to go off and look after my kids and at that point uh, I, that was my fourth child so I just had too many children to uh, be able to afford even in a quite a good salary at that point to, to be able to continue on yeah. and so I actually just had to leave that Which so then that's me going back a few steps and actually in the place that I used to work in now there are four men now who work, who work in that place wow. and when I worked in there there was three women and three men I'm not a mother, I don't have children, but I, I completely understand what you're talking about in terms of those kind of pressures that you feel. And I would say when it comes to gender inequality that I've experienced, it's it's to do with the pay. And it's mm. really like I've been in positions before, in companies before, where I've known for a fact that I'm on a lower wage than someone who's doing the exact same, perhaps less work than what I'm doing. And sometimes even the same exact role, as in we have the same job title. And I've known for a fact, now I was much younger at that stage and I wasn't in a position to negotiate because of like a, a, a number of different factors. Like I was fresh in the door, you know, the mm -hmm. kind of way that it is. But it's something that I think is glossed over a lot. And I don't know about, I can't speak for other industries, but I definitely know in the media anyway, pay inequality and what we spoke it's just it's the one thing that I've really experienced the most but I have to be honest I never really did anything about it I wish I had have done something about it but I, I never did now whether that was to do with my age or whether it was to do with the fear of what was going to come my way if I even asked this and I would like to think that I'm a stronger woman now and I would be able to to stand up for, for my rights but at the time I kind of just sat back and accepted it which I think is a really sad reflection now but, but I, I mean is that something I think that's it's quite common though yeah. I think most I'd like women to think, yeah. most women I think would feel quite un uncomfortable about going I think I mean I don't speak for all women yeah. obviously but I'm yeah. thinking of the women that I know and and uh, I think most people would be, feel quite uncomfortable about going to their boss and saying, hey, I know that you're paying Brian, who does the same job as but me, like, more. Wh why? We should say that, you know? Like, oh, I mean, exactly. I, I didn't, yeah. but I kind of wish I did. Like, if you yeah. definitely know that Bob's your uncle is getting more money than you and you're on the same exact... You're doing the we same also exact know role. that we're in a situation where really it's an employer's market and we yeah. know that there are like 100 people outside the door who want our job. Yeah, and we that know was a that, big fear as yeah, well. And you know that like it mightn't take much for them to be able to get rid of you yeah. and therefore if you're being seeming a bit pesky or something, you no, there's so many factors why everyone is replaceable. Well, it's yeah. interesting, you know. I've, I've done uh, lots of interviews, I suppose, for as in I've interviewed uh, people for for different roles, um, and the one question that will absolutely throw a woman, definitely, or you know, again, I'm generalising, but I know but what you're going to say. This yeah. is so interesting. So you get you get to the end of the interview. Someone's done an absolutely kick-ass interview. You know, they know their stuff. They have, they know everything about Maximum Media. They know all about the different brands and they're really enthusiastic and, and you think like, this is a great person. You say to them, what are your salary expectations? Mm. And it just, it makes people, or the makes world a lot of open, women. The ground opens up and you want to be swallowed. The ground, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's, it's very unusual that you'll get a straight answer. I mean, even mm -hmm. if someone came up with a ridiculous number but said it straight out, yeah. you, you know, mm. I suppose you'd, you'd welcome that a bit more. How and, does that compare to men, the men that you interview? Yeah, so I mean, I've definitely uh, interviewed more women uh, than men so perhaps it's not an exact like for like comparison sure. but without a doubt any uh, man that I've uh, interviewed has certainly struggled with that question a lot less um, yeah, right. it's probably you know probably ultimately all of us men, women probably we, we struggle with money matters and salary yeah. and putting a worth on your yourself and mm -hmm. your work and your expertise it's not always an easy thing to do um, but I have to say that 
by and large in my experience men are much better at giving a direct answer and, and giving it having confidence in saying a figure and saying that this this is what I think is a fair wage for the role that I'm interviewing for and I think that I'm a, a great asset and that this is the, the money that you should pay me. Yeah, it's almost like going back to what we said about being conditioned to think of ourselves as being small physically as well. Like I know because I've been in situations when I've been asked that question and I almost felt myself like I, I know now and I've done enough interviews and I've been in enough interviews to know that it's coming <laughs> and like it's one of those questions that you have to be prepared for yeah. um, but I remember at the beginning of my career like that I just almost wanted the chair to fall out mm-hmm. from under me like and it's you know a lot of the time I'm probably interviewing women who are in their 20s early yeah. 20s they're, yeah. they're at the beginning of their career um, and it, it, they say it's been a more junior position so of course you know if you're at the beginning of your career and even to get to interview stage is, is a big a, mm. a big deal for, mm. for the person um, so then, making people uncomfortable Julian <laughs> why are you asking them this question why are you doing they it they hate it <laughs> don't ask them I should open with that all question. people yeah oh straight away don't even ask them like where they've been before but it, it's yeah. sort of about the worth that we put on uh, ourselves as women though isn't it mm. like I was at a conference at UCC earlier in the year and there was one of the speakers was talking about how a lot of women writers will be writing in their part time and they'll be working possibly full time maybe part time plus have kids and then they'll be doing their writing and she said these women they rarely ask for money for their writing but she said if you compare this to the men that are doing the same deal whether they have kids or not but who have jobs and are also blogging they all have like a Patreon or some kind of way that you can support them and fund them at the bottom of their website and she said that this is one of the things that she tries to encourage women who are writing and women who are blogging and whatever to do is put this on the bottom of your you know, put away to get some money back because the women are doing all this unpaid emotional labour and putting all of these amazing ideas out there and where none of us are, you know, we're not seeing the absolutely, money for this. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. That That's she fascinating, at that. absolutely fascinating. And of course, I mean, you know, if you're putting something out there, um, that's of value you know a, a piece of content yeah. that's, that people enjoy reading and, and they learn something new from it of course there sh- you, sh- you should have definitely an option but there that someone give you five year old ten year old that's what fascinated me that the men were just like oh yeah of course I'm going to do this but Gillian, I want to ask you like so you're the editor obviously of Her.ie so you're in a very high powered position I mean being like a boss lady is that like the worst term that you can tell I was just about to no, say no girl boss is the worst term is of girl boss I mean that that in itself it's just like so you're really high powered and you're a boss what's that like like you know, even that I don't even want to ask it because yeah, yeah, yeah. it's exactly the same as being a man boss but I, I sent a video on to the two of you and I thought it was really funny um, yeah. and it was uh, Rachel Bloom did it for Vanity Fair and it was talking about being and it's actually called lady boss and it's talking about being a female boss and it's talking about how it's great, but it's also a little weird because, like, you want things done, but you're almost saying them in a nice way. And you you don't want them to think that you're being a bitch, but you also really need to get that stuff done. But you'll be like, OK, thanks. Bye. And it's a bit like, oh, God, did I just do that? And your whole body just goes, no, don't do that. I but know, but sometimes you do, you do. You do have that kind of. Uh, Anna Wintour cliche isn't it you, know, yeah. you have to be <laughs> if you're like an editor and in a high position you're a woman you have to be really bitchy really nasty and, and really really mean yeah. just to get things done as you say because if, if you're not it might be, be perceived as, as being a bit weak or, yeah. or not being authoritative um, you know I, I definitely think that you have to show respect to everyone and it's important to foster a team mentality you know that's that's what we do with her and her family and we really rally together and and we do that because that also represents who our audience is you know they're like there's a strong bond between women that we want to celebrate on the sites Mm. and so it's only right then that we we also do that in in our working environment when we're creating content for these sites there was a funny thing in that video as well where she's like keep a pillow in your office so that you can sob uncontrollably into it when nobody's (laughs) looking and they're like we need you in the boardroom and she's just like coming She's been sobbing. Yeah. She's been sobbing for ten minutes straight. I mean, have you ever kind of encountered those things in terms of just feeling, not feeling weak or anything like that? I'm not asking that, but but feeling like perhaps you're being perceived in a certain way, and that's not who you are. But you feel like you have to kind of be like that. I mean, I think I think I'm very confident. Yeah. So um, I 
I don't suffer from a lot of self-doubt in terms of now when I say that I, I mean knocking on somebody's door and asking for something yeah. or flagging that uh, I feel like something could be done better or yeah. flagging somebody's doing a load of great work and they're, maybe they're not getting the acknowledgement that they deserve so I personally don't have any issue with, with making my voice heard mm-hmm. um, uh, but I I mean, of course, everyone has moments, <laughs> lots yeah. of moments of, of self-doubt. And it's I'm, not about yeah. gender in this as much because yeah. I do think that obviously men can feel insecurities and men in high power positions, I'm sure can. But we're, we're talking about it because we are women. So that's but why I would be asking bit, that question. I think there is a bit of a gendered thing, though, because, well, it, because you're is, perceived I, differently when you're a woman and you're the boss. Yeah. And like that thing about, you know, oh, you don't want to come across as a bitch. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I know from when I've been in managerial positions in the past and I've had to to be authoritative and then I and then I'm like oh god do they think that I'm like this awful bitch because I had to like go in and be yeah. kind of quite strict with these people about something and and I'm there thinking oh, I wonder if a man is ever sitting there saying to himself know. you know whatever the equivalent of bitch is I don't know yeah uh, they sitting there going to themselves oh was I a bit you know I did I come across as, a bit harsh as a woman you you probably uh, over evaluate a little bit more you know oh, yeah. that you, you ask those questions of was that okay did I do okay oh, sometimes there? I've I'm scrolled gonna... back through whatsapp messages and been like what did I say was I really rude or yeah. something like that when it just the job needs to get done and sometimes you just have to do it but honestly I have and I again I don't think that it's a weakness by admitting that I, I the one thing that I would feel very self-conscious about is is crying in the workplace well there's no crying in baseball so I've (laughs) that's been my motto since I was very young I don't I've never cried in like a workplace environment I've always done that I've cried in the car park I've cried in the bathroom but if I'm in a meeting with someone and I've been fired and stuff but I do think that crying is one of those things that women are very aware of in in work situations I read an interesting thing recently by just saying talking about crying and specifically crying in the workplace and and women and you know it was it was just a really um, straight up crying is an, an emotion and it's mm. expressing uh, something yeah. um, and that really it's it's nothing to be ashamed of no. it's yeah. an, a natural response to certain stressful or upsetting yeah. circumstances or situations um, and that maybe typically a man would respond in a, a different maybe more aggressive capacity or yeah. shouting and screaming or maybe indeed crying um, but that there's no shame in it I personally do everything I can to never cry in the workplace probably yeah. in 10 years of you know sometimes really horrible situations and and you know sometimes like we've all made massive mistakes oh, as yeah. well and oh yeah um, you know and and getting called up on it and and rightly so being being reprimanded for something yeah. that you've done um is is so deeply upsetting and there probably have only been a handful of occasions when I've ever cried in the workplace and and as you say Niamh, in the bathroom oh, and then yeah. it's like right bit of foundation back on oh, oh, mascara I've been, like, and get back out there. in the car park like yeah, completely exactly. on my own like <laughs> but no and I do think that it is really important what you said to say that it's it is nothing to be shameful of it is an emotion we all experience it I know that from my own experiences I've always had it as a bit of a rule but again it comes back to the way that we perceive ourselves and the way that we perceive our own sense of weakness but it's society's expectations exactly. on us as well and I don't think it? we can so blame ourselves we're kind of a bit more like robotic and yeah. that we don't have actual emotions or feelings when actually I think the, the best people I've ever worked for or the best and I've had so many jobs like I think about 30 different jobs or something um, were the people actually who were really quite in touch with their emotions whether yeah. they were women or men who would who would come in and say look I've had a really tough night because my new baby kept me up all night and yeah. I'm just feeling a bit stressful or the woman who would come in and say I'm premenstrual warning you all yeah. <laughs> whatever it is you know those people who are really in touch with their feelings I think are, were actually the best people to work for yeah lads can I just say that um I need to wrap things up because we've been talking for a very, very long time. And also, I feel like I kind of want to go have a little bit of a cry. So um, that is all the time we have for now. Thank you so much to my panel, Gillian Fitzpatrick and Taryn Devere. Paul Donegan was on sound. The ladies behind the scenes this week, Anya Leach and Kat Stewart. I'm Neve Marr, and we will chat to you next week. Bye.